Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, God bless you all. Thank you for joining. This is week eight. Uh, we're actually going to we're going to finish the Breaking Free tonight, but we have one more module next week, which is on the prophetic, which is in module 13. If you've been following along, which I hope you have, we've, uh, we've been going through the ministry training manual. Tonight, we're going to finish module 12, which is actually the deliverance model. We've gone through the healing model, the salvation model, words of knowledge. We've done uh, curses, the things that hinder, delays. We've, uh, we've looked at a great deal of material. I know lots of reading. Tonight's um, week-long study was also to be reading through the book of James. And so we're going to call up, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, but I'll also at times touch back into the King James. So let's turn, if you have your word, which you should have with you tonight, let's open to the book of James chapter 1. And uh, this, the reason I've had us read, uh, some have said, Pastor, there's a lot of reading material. Yeah, but when you look at it, we've now read through the book of Ephesians, the first week, book of Philippians, the book of Colossians. Week four, we looked at 1 Timothy. Week five, we looked at 2 Timothy. Week six, we looked at Titus. And now in seven, we're in the book of James. The reason I have us read parallel, I know it's a lot, but reading parallel both the modules of the ministry manual, reading along with Breaking Free book that uh, we gave to you the first night, and then reading these um, powerful books, you'll see laced throughout this is the kingdom journey that Paul and the writers, James in this case, Titus, uh, Paul wrote Titus, he wrote Timothy. You'll see throughout this is the spiritual warfare context of identity in Christ. Who are you and who is he? And then what's our job description? Remember we started in week one, we said, look, this is about war and love. This whole book is a love story and it's a story of war. And so we have uh, been asking the Lord to release that truth. It is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And it is the Word that has now become powerful. It is the living Word that is now operating on the inside of us, right? And so we know that daily there's a battle that's on and we've got to take up our cross daily and follow. So I I, I trust that you've been reading through that. I would encourage you um, to take this Word and be really focused, have a pen and a paper, and go line by line, jot by jot. It's amazing. And I'm just going to try to call that out tonight. I know this is the 50,000-foot level. How do you do five chapters of James in like a half an hour? But there's something powerful in the midst of that. So, first of all, we know that most of the commentators uh, declare that this is James. He calls himself in verse 1 there, a slave of God and actually a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that uh, many commentators believe this is James, who is Jesus' younger brother, second born. Um, we know that he also was probably one of the skeptics with his, when uh, they met outside and said, Jesus, they were skeptical of who he was, but not so after the resurrection. So let's pick this up. Of all the books, James is pretty raw. He is like, he cuts right to it. He doesn't leave a whole lot of room for um, negotiating. He tells you the way it is, and I just, I just like the way this thing flows. In verse 2, he says this. Um, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when any kind of trouble comes your way, 
consider it an opportunity for great joy. Well, that right there has probably left us like, wait, James, wait. <laughs> we want to consider all of our trouble as a great opportunity for joy. I don't know about you, but that is not a flesh walk. That is a spirit walk right there. So we thank you. He says in verse 3, you know that your faith is being tested, but when it's tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. You might ask the question, well, why would you want your endurance to grow? Well, he answers that in verse 4. He says, let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, I love this verse. Um, we often quote it. It says in verse 6, it says, if you, in verse 5, it says, if you need wisdom, which one of us doesn't need wisdom? For every day, every kind of major decision, he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking it. But when you ask, there's a theme here. There's, you're going to see this theme throughout the book. When you ask, don't waver. Don't be double-minded. Don't be unsettled. Just settle this thing. He's the king of your heart, right? Don't be tossed to and fro, blown this way, blown that way tomorrow by this hurt, under the influence of this thing today and this tomorrow. No, he says, look. Let your loyalty be undivided because he says if you don't, such people will never receive anything. You shouldn't expect to receive anything. If you've got a, a divided heart, divided loyalty, you're actually walking in the world. You've got one foot in the world. You've got one foot. God will not honor that. He will not honor it. He is God. There is no other. So stop all this double-mindedness, one foot in, one foot out. Sell out. Just let him be the Lord in the rule over our lives. So let me jump down. Let's look at um, verse 12. There's some interesting things here. He says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. He blesses them if you endure. Boy, if there hasn't been some endurance during some of this season, right? Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised. But remember, this is a, a powerful truth that many don't understand. This is where we don't really understand this spiritual warfare element. Remember, verse 13, when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God never tempts us to do wrong. He's never tested, tempted anyone. Temptation comes from our own, look at where it's rooted. Temptation comes from our own desires and entices us and then, listen, look at the language, drags us away. It's your stuff, it's your enticement, it's mine. It's that lusted thing that we're after, the desire. Verse 15, it says, these desires will give birth to a sinful action. And when that sin is allowed to grow, it'll bring death. He says this in Galatians uh, 6. He says, God will mock, be mocked. When a man sows, a woman sows, you're going to reap it. And so we wonder when we dabble in something and then we wonder why those things have come home to roost. Well, if you sow it, you're going to find it. So he talks about, in that verse there, there's a testing and there's a temptation. Now, does God allow testing? Sure, he tests us. The scriptures are loaded with tests. He tested Abraham. Remember that? In fact, it's used as an example. He tested Abraham when he said, bring me your son as the sacrifice. Bring Isaac. And then when Abraham passed the test, the blessings flowed. But this temptation comes from our evil, sinful 
nature. So he never tests, he never tempts us, he does test. Let's, um, let's look at verse 17. He speaks about the good and perfect gifts. There are, there are good gifts and then there are perfect gifts. Just a couple of examples. Um, the scripture says in Psalm 127.3 that a child is a gift from God. That's a good gift. <laughs> wow. Jesus is the perfect gift. He was the perfect sacrifice. So that good and perfect gift that comes down from the Father of lights and he never changes. He says in uh, Proverbs 18.22, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. So there's a good gift. Guys, you got a wife, you got a good thing going on. So we know that there's good and there's perfect gifts. How about salvation? Salvation is a gift. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, don't forget the gift of God is eternal life. That's in Romans 6, 23. So the gift of God is eternal life. What a great gift that is. How about that? Living forever. So we see that. Then he goes on and he gives some instructions. In verse 18, he says this. He chose you to give birth to us by giving us his true worth, this gift, right? And we're out of all creation. We became his prized possession. You're a prized possession. I had someone today that really was believing a lie about them, that their identity, and we, we, my wife and I quickly corrected and said, no, that's not, that's not true. You are a prized possession. And then he goes on, he says, understand this, brothers and sisters. This is good advice for all of us. Brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce righteousness. Boy, can I get an amen on that? How about if we would just stop talking a little bit, be a lot quicker to listen, and certainly don't let that mess, don't take the bait. What does John Bevere say in his study there? Don't take the bait. Don't, don't go down that path. Then he tells us to get rid of, this has been a theme throughout all of the books that we have here, get rid of all the filth. Get rid of your filth. Wow. And all the evil in your lives. You got any filth out there? Go take it out to the trash can. The stuff that's in your house, the stuff that we're down, get it out of your house. Humbly accept the word of God that's been planted in your house, in your hearts, this temple where he lives. It has the power to save your soul. But then he goes on. Here's where James really cuts to the chase. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. Those who, remember it says the letter kills, the spirit is active. It's, it's that place where if you hear the word and make a mental assent to the word and then you don't do it, you're a fool. You are an absolute fool. In fact, you actually bring greater judgment on yourself. You've heard the truth and you know the truth, but now you're not walking in the truth. You're a fool. You're fooling yourself if you think that it's okay. It, he uses this example. It's kind of like, wake, remember waking up in the morning and you look in the mirror and your hair and everything is all this way and that way and you don't do anything about it? Yeah, it's fine. Just walk away. He says, that's like looking in the mirror and not doing anything about what you see. <laughs> Fix yourself up a little bit, right? And so don't, don't forget what the Word says. Make it applicable in your life. Doing the Word. 
because it says, let's look at um, verse 26. In verse 26 it says, if you think you're religious, you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself again. Your religion that you claim you've got is worthless. Now, this is about to cut most of us right, right in half here. It's like he goes on, he says, look, you've got to be able to control your language. You control your tongue. I've got a real number, of, large number of scriptures about the power of the tongue. And what he's saying here is, if you claim that you're spiritual, then you ought to have some control over your tongue. That's kind of consistent with, with Galatians 5, right? If you walk in the Spirit, it'll produce this kind of fruit. But if you walk in the flesh, it's going to produce another kind of fruit, which is not what you want. And then he concludes this first chapter with, you know what God says is pure and genuine as far as religion and spirituality? In the Father's sight, here's what he says is pure. This is pure religion, good stuff, not, not religiosity. This is, he says, care for the orphan and care for the widow when they're in distress. And number three, refuse to let the world corrupt you. The world is full of corruption, and it is enticing all the day. Those seducing spirits, those things are out there. As far as the Father's concerned, if you have an, an ability to take care of an orphan in distress, or you have an ability to take care of a widow in distress, and not allow the world to bring corruption. So, we just thank God that in chapter 2 in James, he goes on, he says, he warns against prejudice in verse 1. He says, so have you got any prejudice, bones, judgments? Because it says it will reveal your true motive. Warnings against prejudice. Um, for example, verse 2, he says, so suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who's poor and dressed in dirty clothes. But you give special attention to the one that's all dressed up then you've got a problem. You've got something going on. I remember there was a pastor in, an, in another um, town. He took a sabbatical for about, I think he said, six weeks. Let his beard grow out. Let his hair grow out. He went out and he got all dressed up. He was supposed to come back and take over the pulpit again. But he came in. He, he intentionally did not shower, did not shave. The smell on him was not good. He let himself all go, dressed up in ratted clothes, and he sat in the back of the church. And the congregation was wondering, well, what do when pastor's coming back? Well, he was there, but he had been shunned. People wouldn't sit by him. So when it came time and people were wondering, well, I wonder where pastor is, this homeless-looking guy got up and stood in the front and said, I'm really disappointed. We ought to live this. So if that's going on in your heart, it's a natural thing. You know, you're connected. Uh, maybe you see people, you give them honor. But we ought to challenge motives there. Um, then he, he goes on, and he's not gentle with people that have riches and versus those who are not very wealthy, poor. He calls them in verse 5. He says this in chapter 2, verse 5. God chose the poor to be rich in faith and those who will inherit the kingdom that are promised to those who love him. So poor, remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, he says in Beatitudes in, Mac, in, Mark, in Matthew 5. He goes, he says, there's something about love and riches, um, but if you dishonor the poor, verse 6, and 
isn't it the rich who really oppress and cause people they don't do well? Then he warns them. He says, look, don't slander. Aren't they the ones that oppress and they don't do the right things for many? They steal from others. If they've gotten their wealth from ill-gotten means, be careful. So we see this as, um, let's take a look at verse he starts down this path of faith without works. Let's look at um, verse 20. Let's look at verse 13 for a minute. In verse 13, this is where uh, the commentators really start to talk about faith and action. Without action, there is useless faith. Look at verse, um, verse 17, kind of a straight Scripture. It says this, so, you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. King James says, so even so faith, if it has not works, it's dead, being alone. Think about that. Your faith is useless if there's no good deeds attached to it. And that kind of, uh, wait, what about faith in Christ? This is that case where he goes on and he says, even the demons, even the devil believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 19. So you say, if you say you have faith and you believe there's one God, well, good for you. But even the demons believe that. <laughs> How foolish. Can you see that faith without good deeds? And we know the demons don't do good deeds. So what James is saying here is, yes, faith is a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're not going to compromise on that. We know that it's by faith that you've been saved through the grace. It's by, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, yet not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anybody would boast. So it's, I come to faith in Christ by His grace as a free gift. But once I'm born again, there had better be a fruit tree following behind. Because if not, it's useless. So he, he just kind of cuts right to that chase. So then he goes on. Let's look at Pat, chapter 3 about the tongue. And most of it can say, oh me, oh my, on this one. Dear brothers and sisters, in verse 1, many of you should not become teachers. This one, this one always humbles me. Because if you're going to be a teacher in the church, you're going to be judged more strictly. So teachers get judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes, many mistakes. I like that part. We all make many mistakes in verse 2. For, but if we could control our tongues, we'd be perfect. Wow. Indeed, all of us make mistakes, but if you can control your tongue, you would be perfect. We can make a large horse go wherever he wants by a bit. We can turn a ship by a rudder. But this tongue, man, it'll ruin your life with all, it can set things on fire. It's, it's a, this tongue is a small little thing, verse 5, makes grand speeches, but it's like a tiny spark that causes a great forest fire. Among all the parts of your body, the tongue is a flame of fire. The whole world of wickedness corrupts your entire body. It can set your whole life and world on fire. Wow. And who can tame this thing? Wow. It's a, so this is that, in fact, there's an interesting statement here in chapter 3. I, I read this thing one time that neurosurgeons said 
that the speech center of your brain controls all the nerves in your body. That quadrant of your brain where speech comes from also controls the nerves in your body. So this thing about a spiritual person ought to have control because if the spirit's in control, then remember what Jesus said, out of the mouth the heart speaks. It's that heart, and if your heart's not in control with the Holy Spirit being in charge, then your tongue is going to get corrupted, and guess what? It can make a mess over your... Let me just give you a couple of scriptures here that um, I listed about the tongue and the power of the tongue. Verse, chapter, uh, this is in Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Psalm 34, 13. Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips, keep them from telling lies. Psalm 141, 3. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep a watch over the door of my lips. Well, that's a good word. Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> wow. Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of a godly person gives wise advice, but the tongue of a deceiver will be cut off. Proverbs 12, 14. Wise words bring many benefits. Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like, pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13, 3. Boy, Solomon really went after this. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens his lips comes to ruin. How about this one? This goes with that whole anger, you know, control your anger. Proverbs 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You know, when somebody starts getting up in your face and you just quietly respond without attacking. It's just like, wow. A couple others. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The heart of the godly thinks before they speak. Gracious words. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 21, 23, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, and you'll stay out of trouble. Wow. I'll just, there's many more, but Proverbs 29, 20, do you see a man who has hastiness in his words? This is more hope for fool than for him. So, one more. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus said, But I tell you that every careless word that you speak, you'll give an account on the day of judgment. That's red letter. Woo-hoo. Wow. Matthew 15, 11, It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's the words that come out of your mouth that defile you. Wow. So, Lord... Certainly, James was on to something here. Solomon, certainly the writer of all the Psalms and Proverbs. So, Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom and ability. We release that control to you to control our tongues. Well, let me pick up, and let's go to James chapter 4. 
in James chapter 4. Uh, let's look at verse 5. This is an interesting statement. It says that he actually, the Lord, longs, he lusts for us to be in that place. It's, he's envious or the exact words. Let me give you the King James and the New Living. It says, in verse 5, the King James, it says, James 4, 5, it says, do you think that the Scriptures say in vain that the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusts to envy? New Living says it this way, what do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the Spirit of God that He's placed within us is filled with envy? But he gives, he goes on and he answers that in verse 6. He says this, he says, he gives grace generously as the Scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. This is a key Scripture in prayer ministry. We get ready to do the module here in a minute on breaking free, the actual breaking free uh, destiny model. This is a key. If people come in and they're not going to humble themselves in that place, you know, as far as humility, uh, it's one thing to humble ourselves before God. We, we pray to Him and ask Him to forgive us, and He does. First John 1 John 1.9 says, confess to Him He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. But this humility, it's a another story when you go in and you confess your deepest, darkest stuff to two people or three people in the model of prayer ministry. And what is he saying here? So let's, let's look at that again. In that place of humility, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In verse 7, so that's James 4, 7. That's a scripture you probably want to memorize. Let's, let's look at that one. James 4, 7, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, he will flee. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Now look at this. Wash your hands you sinners, and purify your hearts. Again, he talks about this loyalty not being divided again. You can't be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. It's, it doesn't work. The washing of the hands, boy, we know that now during this whole corona deal, right? But the washing of the hands speaks of you've touched something in the natural that is unclean, and you need to wash your hands. But then he says, purify your heart. This is where the inward man is being purified. And in prayer ministry, we're going to see this. You've got to come in and you've got to confess your mess. In that humility, because you're going to see a scripture here in a moment that is going to unlock the power of this. And that's why it's so powerful in prayer ministry for this book. He says, let your tears, that you, the things you've done, let them be genuine. Sorrow, deep grief, sadness, not laughter, sadness, gloom. This is like a true, repentant, humble heart. And when you start filling out the journal for prayer ministry and you start listing all the people you need to forgive, what's happened, and then you start asking the Holy Spirit in James 1, 5, 6, he says, ask the Lord to tell you what it is that you lack. When you start confessing those things, man, it is easy to get into a place of great remorse and sadness and despair. And what he's saying is, in your humility, God sees that. And he will lift you up and he will honor you. And guess what? Once you've done that, this unlocks, resists the devil, and he's got to go. In fact, we use that often in prayer ministry. Right now, there's been confession. There's been repentance. You need to go, devil. 
and he does. It's powerful. In fact, you'll see that this is in, in concert with what Jesus teaches in Matthew 12, how you tie up the strong man. You want to tie up the strong man that's in your life? Go humbly before God, confess and forgive, and you'll see what will happen to the strong man. You actually start lashing him. You put rope upon rope around him. Then he goes on, he gives instruction again in verse 11. Don't speak evil against each other, brothers and sisters. Don't criticize. Don't judge. Just before our meeting tonight, I was meeting with somebody, and we we're talking about this is, you know what? Stop judging others. Just judge yourself. Worry about you. What are you doing? Forget about everybody else. What are you doing? It's so easy to point the finger. I just, man, we're all in that place. We, we seem to give ourselves a lot of grace, and we get real critical about others that we don't think are measuring up. He tells us, don't, don't go there. Don't gossip and don't judge. Because he tells you why. Verse 13 and 14, he goes, you have any idea that you may say, this is about riches and wealth and business. He says, you may say, I'm going to go here, go to this town, make money, do my business here, make a profit this year, next year. He goes, you know, you have any idea what you're saying? Why don't you let the Lord guide your will and your life? Because he goes, in verse, he says, in verse, uh, let's see here, your life is a vapor. He goes on, he goes, don't gossip, don't judge. Verse 13 and 14, he says, your life is a vapor. It's here for a little bit, and then it's gone. Wow. So if the Lord wants us to live and do, then that's fine. In fact, in verse 17, he goes on, he says this, if you know what to do and you don't do it, that's sin. It's also rebellion. So we thank the Lord that there's this warning that he gives us. Now let's look at chapter 5. He warns in, the, in chapter 5, a warning to the rich. Terrible trouble is ahead for you. Your wealth is actually rotting wealth. <laughs> it's like, what? This great anguish. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are actually moth-eaten rags. This is the wealth. Your gold and your silver, they're corroded. That's why when we think of that scripture, it says, don't store up riches on earth, but store them up in heaven. I wonder how much of us in the United States are so wealthy compared to many. I've been, in, I've been in some places in the earth like, whoa. So be careful that you don't use this hoarding of your wealth and stuff because it's actually going to be used to testify against you on Judgment Day. That scripture comes up as the rich man and Lazarus, right? Where he didn't, the rich man did not use his wealth to help others in poverty. Again, we see that with care of the orphans and the widows in distress. So there's a warning here. It says, you've cheated the innocent. You've actually gotten your wealth, your luxury on earth in verse 5. He goes, you've spent your years in earth in luxury, satisfying every desire. Well, yipes. You've actually fattened yourself up for the day of slaughter. See where James is not, <laughs> he is not mixing any words here. This is kind of straightforward. And then he goes on, he says, you've condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So this is woe unto you who use your wealth and your power and authority to harm people. And so that's a warning to the rich. And then he goes on in verse 7, patient endurance. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. 
Consider the farmer and the rain that they wait for in the fall and the spring and look eagerly for that valuable harvest to ripen. So you must too be patient. Take courage, be courageous, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other. Boy, can I get an amen on that? Brothers and sisters, you're going to be judged. You want to be a grumbler? You want to be a gossiper? You want to be a complainer? Well, that idle word that you're speaking now and making judgments on, Jesus said, woe unto you who judge. You're going to be judged by the same judgment. So help us all. None of us have arrived in this area. We are to make righteous judgments about what is sin and what is not, but we have to be careful about uh, loving the sinner in the midst of that. Then he goes on about the power of prayer. Verse 13, if you're suffering, pray. If you're happy, sing praises. If you're sick, now here's, these are really powerful scriptures for prayer ministry. The next few verses here, um, he goes on, he says, if any sick among you, you should call for the elders of the church and let them come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will, that word sozo, heal the sick, save, heal, and deliver the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Wow. So if anyone's sick, call for the elder. Let him pray. Why? Because verse 16 says, if you confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed, the earnest fervent prayer, that means, for the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Let me give you a principle here in prayer ministry. 1 John 1, 9 says, confess your sins to Christ. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. That's that Roman scripture. Paul says, you've been made the righteousness of Christ by the blood of Jesus, by our faith in him. We take the communion. We confess our sins. That is blotted out. Sin is gone. But there's something about the soul that needs to be prayed to with others. It says, confessing your sins, when I come in and I confess my sin to brothers and sisters in like faith so that I might be healed because that effectual fervency of prayer availeth much. I'll tell you, when you spend about five to six hours with somebody in fervency of prayer where we have fasted the day, they have fasted the day, some fly in from other states, come in from other long distances, take the day off, and we're in this fasted place in the room for healing and prayer and confession. God shows up in the midst of that. This is powerful. Most people say, I don't want to confess my sin to anybody. I'll do it to Jesus. Well, that's not humility. And I've got a really scary story of someone who went to prayer ministry before they went on the mission field with us, and they held back their stuff because they were pridefully arrogant about it. And when they got on the mission field, that door was still open, and the devil jumped all over him. He came back, and he spent several sessions training my next ministry teams that were going out to missions that says, boy, let me tell you, you don't want to do that? <laughs> So let's be humble, and then you can resist the devil, and he will flee. The earnest, fervent prayer. And then he ends this whole scripture about the power of the great power of prayer. He uses the example of Elijah, who prayed and rain didn't come. And then he says, if temptation has come, and there's others that have wandered away. Look at how he ends this chapter. He says, restore the wandering believers. 
If you save a person who's wandered off, you bring them back from death, um, and they have their sins forgiven, many sins forgiven. What a powerful book. I want you to see that there's a certainly great connection here. So now I want to ask us to turn, if you will, uh, break out your ministry training manual. We were deep into module 12 on deliverance last week. And what I'm going to do now is we're actually, if you, you probably want to get, if, if you don't have one, get a pen and a paper. You'll need a, at least a single eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. We're going to do a mock. Um, I'm going to set up a scenario. This is actually one that happened years ago from a woman from another church who came into our city uh, and asked for prayer. So I'm we're not going to give any names, obviously, and, but it, it's a great ex example of how we do prayer ministry in the model. So to set that up, let's turn to page 1226, module 12 under deliverance, and we'll set it up. So what will take place if someone, I've had several calls this week, actually, I had a man from, uh, from another part of the state call me up, struggling with uh, alcohol, struggling with pornography. Uh, his wife had left him. He was in a deep, dark place. He had heard from somebody else about uh, prayer ministry that we had done uh, a while back from his church. And so he called me. I spent a long time on the phone with him. And uh, th these scenarios of the lies and the doors that are open that will destroy you. The devil's come to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life in abundance. And so... What we're going to do now, let's look at, someone says, I want prayer ministry. So what we did is um, I sent him a copy of the book, and I also sent him, we emailed him the journal. And the journal is located on, let's turn there. I don't think it's numbered, but it's turned to the right, and you'll see, I think it's actually uh, just before 13.1. It says where it says pre-ministry interview sheet. That will be filled out. On the day that you sit down, you'll have your name and contact point, and yet you actually release the ministry team. Um, we give counsel and advice, and they have been journaled, and it's on the page that says prayer ministry journal. So turn a few pages to the left of that 13.1, and you'll see at the top it's labeled prayer ministry preparation journal. That gets emailed or handed to the person, at preferably two weeks in advance. And we ask the person to go and read these scriptures, get out a piece of paper and write at the top forgiveness, get another piece of paper and write confession. And then you ask in James 1, 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, Lord, who is it that I need to forgive any time in my life that needs to be given, I want to willfully forgive them. And then you list their name and what you're forgiving them for. And you just start keeping that as a private, strictly private journal. And then confession is also done. And sometimes they go hand in hand. If you've had a parent that's abused you, been alcoholic, then you probably have some unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, anger, bitterness towards them. So you'll have a confession of that was yours to own, but you also need to also forgive the one who's brought that wound. And so the journal is that preparation. It's the scriptures that are listed there. It's the forgiveness list. You can see that. And then on the next page, it's the confession list. 
And so they'll get that journal and they'll start filling it out, making preparation, asking the Holy Spirit to give them the people that need to be on the list. All right, now let's turn back to page 1227. Here's some of the guidelines. So the person's been given the journal about two weeks in advance. They've been working on their confession and forgiveness list. They um, preferably have been reading Breaking Free. There's some other, um, obviously, scriptures in there as well. They come to their, tr their session, and you're going to find that most people are going to feel anxious. They're going to be somewhat uh, feeling vulnerable. They're coming in. They've also taken two weeks digging up all the pain and the hurt and the failures of their past. So they're digging up that root system. So there's can be stirring. They may have had dreams. They may have had some real angst. So they come in and they're like feeling very vulnerable, but the Holy Spirit's already been working. They've, they've been humbling themselves before God and being as honest and straightforward about what's to put on the confession list and what to could put on. Some of it's very embarrassing. And that's why we tell them, look, there's two things that really understand here. We're not here to judge you. We're not sitting there saying, oh, wow. In fact, by now, if we haven't heard it, we may have done it in the past. So it's kind of like Paul says, all of those things of our past, forgetting those things that are behind. So they come into the session. They sit down. We welcome them. We uh, have them fill out the ministry contact sheet information there, your address and phone number. Say, look, we ask you that you would um, allow us to flow in the Holy Spirit here. We ask them some pointed questions. Uh, do you, are you a believer? How did you get saved? Some of it, maybe it's straightforward, but others say you may get words like, well, I've always been in church. Okay, that's great, but is there a time when you actually surrendered your life? So if, we're going to make sure, because you'll see there, that this ministry is not for anyone that's not a born-again believer. We covered that a couple of weeks ago. This is the children's bread. Deliverance is the children's bread. And if you're not a child of God, then you get set up and in a moment. We'll look at Matthew 12, and you'll see what would happen. People that have been heavily medicated. Uh, I told this guy that was, I said, look, you're going to have to wean yourself off of alcohol or the medica medication you're on. If you're on uh, schizophrenic medicine or bipolar medication, we're not going to give you medical advice and tell you what to do with that. But we want your soul to be able to participate. So we don't give medical advice. You'll see that on the bottom of page 1226. We don't make medical recommendations. But we do want you to be able to be coherent and not shut down in your soul when you come. So you need to wean yourself from alcohol. You need to come in sober. Uh, you need to be at least 18 years of age unless you've got a parental guidance. And that's a whole different thing when we talk about doing children's deliverance. You need to be a believer. See that on page 1227? <clears throat> you need to be a believer. Completely surrendered to the Lord's will. You need to be able to uh, embrace the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 there, number 3, that the Holy Spirit's going to operate here. And then, of course, you need to be humble and full of ability to confess. And then we tell them, look, uh, this, we generally don't have a family member or someone who knows you very well that might be preconditioned, unless it's a child. We might, we'd have a parent maybe in the room, especially if they're under the age of 12. That's uh, the case. But we tell them, you're going to be here probably at least five to six hours. We average about five and a half. <clears throat> Take a look at um, 
on page 12, it would be 1229, called the Destiny Model, the procedure that's there. <clears throat> Number one, team covering. I want you to see when we sit down, so now we're at a place where we have the individual who's come in for prayer. We have a leader who's taken the lead on this. <clears throat> we have the second and maybe an intercessor present. We're now sitting down. We're in a quiet place. They've come in. They've got their, their journal of confession and forgiveness. We have a piece of paper, and this is what I would like you to do. Take your piece of paper, and on the top left side of the margin, write soul ties and generational. Then draw a line down halfway through the paper. That's where you're going to put what the person identifies as family or generational sin in the past. Then to the right, draw another line down, halfway down the page, and list forgiveness. That's where you're going to put the name, a mother, I need to forgive my dad for, my mother for. I need to forgive this man named Joe who took advantage of me, robbed from me. Um, <clears throat> and then just draw a line through the center of the page there. So you've got soul ties and generational stuff, the familiar family stuff, secret societies, divorces that have taken place, and then who am I forgiving? And then in the bottom several pages will be the spiritual stuff that is attached to what has been brought forward by the one that you're forgiving or the area that you're confessing. Let me give you an example. Let me set up this scenario. So if you'll pull out on page, just after page 1228, you'll see the destiny model. It's got 14 points. And we're going to walk through this now. You've got a piece of paper, soul ties, generational, that the divorces or the family stuff that's gone on, a forgiveness and a confession side. Okay, let me set you up with the scenario. We're going to fill this out. This is a, an actual event. I'll shorten it, obviously, because it went on for six hours. This uh, person had heard, she'd actually, this person had been to marriage counseling for many years. This was her second marriage. She had been going to counseling. Things had really gotten really not good between her second husband and she. Um, she ran into one of our ladies and said, well, it sounds like you might have some spiritual stuff. Have you ever considered going to a prayer ministry for inner healing? She goes, what's that? Contacts the office. There's an exchange there. She gets the journal sent to her several weeks in advance. We set up the prayer ministry. She comes in, and it's myself and another lady, because remember, I'm now ministering to a woman, so there'll be a, a gender-specific person to whoever you're ministering with. We sit down, and, and she starts to tell her story. So the first three hours of the six hours is, tell us your story. It's the bad and the ugly side. It's not the good. We know life has got a mixture there. But where you get wounded and where you start to believe the lies is where <clears throat> you have embraced or engaged in believing what is not true. She starts to tell her story. Let me cut to the chase of what that was. This is her second husband, but she... Um, she's got a, a father who is kind of distant. We said, what was your relationship with your mother and father? She says, well, my dad's kind of been cold, never really related to me well. I tried to please him by being a tomboy, and I always was looking for his approval. I, I didn't really ever get to get it, see it, feel it. I didn't feel appreciated or loved by him. Not uh, Certainly my identity was 
not uh, identified by him. Um, he always told me to stay away from boys. He was pretty strict about that. And uh, he said, you know, boys are not, they got things on their mind that you don't need to be involved in. Well, one time in high school at age 16, I got a ride home from a boy from a basketball game. And he took me to a private place and he raped me. He was in my class and I trusted him, but he raped me. I went home, I told my father what happened. My father said, I told you never to be alone with a boy and you violated what I told you. He got a hold of the boy and threatened the boy's life. But he said, look, it's going to be your word against his. You drove home with him. This is just going to embarrass you. It's going to embarrass the family. So I told you and you didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. She becomes rather promiscuous. Um, she has several relationships outside of marriage. At graduation, she just wants out of the house. She leaves her home, goes to another city, gets involved in a, um, in a business where it, there's a lot of focus on looks, and, and a lot of that focus, she meets a lot of men that all they got on their mind is what they can get from her. She remembers when she was a child, she used to play the Ouija board at home. That's a generational thing. We wrote that down, generational witchcraft. It was a natural thing in her household to do Ouija boards allowed by her family. One of those experiences, she asked the Ouija board, what's the name of the man that I'm going to marry someday? And it prints out a name. Well, she starts dating this man with that name in this city. And she thinks it's, wow, this must be what I'm supposed to do. She marries this man and for eight years and finds out that he's bisexual and he's a bisexual abuser. And he ends up leaving her for another man. So she now divorces him, comes back to this area, finds another guy who's really safe. He's a, he looks like an upstanding guy. They've been married for years. They have children, but their marriage is falling apart. Allah goes to marriage counseling, comes to prayer ministry. So here's the facts. She met a bunch of guys that really were not nice. She opened some doors generationally. She's got some generational stuff. She's got divorce. She also shared that her family, there was pornography involved, both with husbands, with the husband as well as with uh, her father. Her mother had been sexually abused. So when you start writing down in that center column, what are some of the generational iniquities that could visit to the third and fourth generation? If you remember that out of Exodus 20, verse 5, and Exodus 34. Sexual abuse, bisexual perversion, witchcraft, pornography. She also shared that she had a grandfather who was a mason, secret societies. So you start to paint the picture of what are the generational things that are in her life that might have a visitation to come kill, steal, and destroy her. Then who are there on the forgiveness side of the list? Well, certainly her father, the rapist, the first husband, the abuse. So we see there that there's, we need, we need the, the facts of this. So all of a sudden I got a word of knowledge. And I said to her, I said, she's a very nice lady, no drama, and everything was going, you know, going through the process. She was very cooperative in the process. And I said, I want you to forget that I'm a pastor for a minute. I really want to know what you believe in your heart, not what you want to tell me or what you think you're supposed to tell me. Let's just blank that all out right now. What do you believe about men? 
she got this angry tone, almost, um, and she said, men are filthy pigs, and they will tell you anything to get what they want from you. They can't be trusted. And then she gathered herself and settled and said, that's really not good, is it? I said, well, it's true that you have met some filthy pigs who have abused you. That's a fact. We're not denying that. But you've now made it a consistent belief system that all men are pigs and they can't be trusted. How do you think your husband can ever get access to your soul to be able to be intimate in such a way that was planned by God if you believe that and he's just one of them? Yeah, but then she got quiet. She said, yeah, but what if I give him my heart and he breaks my heart? And what if he does what? Yeah, that's a corollary belief system. It's just a matter of time that if you surrender your heart, you will be broken and abused by this man. Your husband has no chance. And obviously the, the reconciliation of your marriage is probably really tough too. So would you be willing, would you be willing to put another belief system that we will acknowledge that you've met some dogs and, and pigs and we're going to forgive them. We're going to go through the forgiveness list. But can we change that? That not all men are filthy pigs? That you will show me who it is that I can trust and Lord, I'm willing to give my husband my heart even if he breaks it. She said, that's kind of scary. I said, yeah, walking it out can be scary. But why are you here? You're here to reconcile your marriage, right? Yeah. So we go through the rest of it. We go through a bunch of, of forgiveness. We confess and forgive. She confesses anger and bitterness and playing with Ouija boards. We renounce all the generational stuff that's come against her. She renounces witchcraft and pornography and Ouija boards and, and uh, breaks off the false societies, the secret societies, the uh, sexual abuse. She does all that. And so we get to this place at the end I'm going to walk you through the model at the end just to finish that story. As we go through her confession and forgiveness, she says, I'm going to step out and take a risk that I'm going to go home and I'm going to give my husband access to my heart. I said, well, the next time, because they had gotten into this mode of operation that he would say something and she'd get aggravated. They wouldn't talk for three days, but they got kids and they got to pay bills. And so then they patch it up and they try to make it work and, and it's, it's not functioning well. She goes, I, the next time he starts to get access and you're, you're going to let the walls down to give him access to your heart and your feelings, he may break your heart, but you're, gonna, you're willing to go there. She said, yeah. Well, it just so happens, the reason I know this, she ended up calling my prayer partner, the female, the next day and kept track with her for several weeks. So I know the rest of this story, as Paul Harvey would say. Um, that night she went home, and her husband thought she was going to a marriage counseling thing, like they've done. When he found out you spent six hours telling them all of our details of everything, in his pride level went out the door, and he starts getting angry. He says, I didn't give you, and, and this is where she would normally exit leave, right? She doesn't. She stays in and says, I gave, I told them I would give you permission to hurt my heart, and you're doing it right now. She starts bawling, and then he realizes you're right, and he starts to cry. He asks his forgiveness. And all of a sudden, they says they have this moment. And for the next several weeks, the feedback was, 
this is like honeymoon stuff, right? So it was like, wow. So what's the point of this? It was she had had counseling, and you can try to manipulate your flesh to be better, make your flesh behave better with his flesh. But if there's a spirit involved, the spirit of distrust of males, and that it a reality of the belief system that he's going to break my heart, there, there is no way you can behave to the point where that's going to come. You can't counsel a demon. You throw him out. Amen? All right, now let's go back to the model. So you would have been keeping that as, as a documentation of what, how you approach this thing because you're listening in the spirit. So when that woman says, I don't trust men, they'll break my heart. There's a spirit of distrust. There's a, a belief of insecurity that I'm going to be abused. I'm going to be taken advantage again. I won't be loved for who I am. Do you hear those spirits that are behind that? Those are all the sister groups that are running behind. Distrust, fear, fear of abuse. Broken. Those are spirits. Now, she's communicating what reality was for her, and we're not debating the reality. Those things happen. But there's a spirit that is empowering that lie. That's what you're after. So we're jotting down distrust, fear, fear of men, fear of not being loved good enough. It's just a matter of time. That's the lie. So the lie is it's just a matter of time before my husband breaks my heart. So I wrote that down. It, can you, you believe that? At some time, this is not going to work out again, right? Yeah. So, now back to the model. Let's, this will start to make sense, I, I, I pray. One, we sit down. Here comes the individual. I've got my prayer partner with me. They filled out their journal. We have our uh, confession and their forgiveness list. We start down, look at item number one on page, well, it's going to be 1229. It's called Destiny Model Procedure. So, the leader takes authority. Right now, we just take authority over that room. There's a, sam- there's a sample prayer in here that's there. We take authority over this room. We set the stage. And in that, there's things that we say. I usually love that scripture. You've heard it many times in the last few weeks on Luke chapter 10. We take authority over all power of the enemy. We have authority over you, and no way can you injure us. We invite the Holy Spirit to come with his gifts. And I list the, tw- the nine gifts out of 1 Corinthians plus. Lord, I thank you that you said, Holy Spirit, the gifts would be in operation, that it would build and edify the church, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation, tongues, prophecy, helps. Lord, let all those gifts be here. We invite you, Holy Spirit. And then we take authority over anything that would try to, buy, anything that would try to confuse, distract, distort, mock. We bind violence. This is a biggie. No violence, no drama. You're not allowed to come in such a way that you're, anyone's going to get hurt in this process. You are powerless. Every demonic realm is powerless to operate. Only the will of God will be done here today. This is the leader speaking. Remember, we just read the power of the tongue. You're now setting the boundaries of the stage of how this is going to happen. And then you cover the team. We, we declare, I take Revelation 12 and Psalm 91 that this is the day that you recorded in your book. He says in Psalm 149, David said, every day is recorded. Psalm 91, we're under the shelter of the Most High. We know that you have given us covenant promises in in Deuteronomy 28. So we're declaring that this is the boundaries putting in motion. We have taken authority over all the power of the enemy. That's the leading prayer. Seal this room now. 
Then we make sure that the individual, see number two there? Is this person born again? Do you want to rededicate your life? I usually start by saying, why have you come here today? What, if you were to get exactly what you've asked the Lord for, what would that be? In the case of the woman, it says, I want to be able to be restored in my marriage. That's a good prayer. And then we, if they're um, maybe shy about praying to, out loud, you can lead them as a leader in the prayer of salvation. That's testing the Spirit. You see that there in 1 John 4, verses 2, for four, uh, 2 through 4. They cannot declare that Jesus Christ died and born again if they're not born again. <laughs> All right. Once that's done, then we pray this total commitment and I give them a warning. I want you to turn for a moment, if you have, Matthew 12. We've, we've covered this in the past, but I just want to hit it again quickly. This is a warning I give to the individual that some people come and say, well, I, you know, I, I don't really want to surrender completely. I just want to function better. Doesn't work that way. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And the danger is that if you don't surrender and you reopen the doors, you make yourself in a worse place. Jesus does this in Matthew 12. In verse 22, he heals a demon-possessed man who's both blind and can't speak. And they accuse him of being Beelzebub, prince of demons. He counters them. He says, how can that be when the kingdom of God has come, the demons have to flee? And then he does this uh, additional teaching in verse 43, Matthew 12, 43. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert. King James says dry place. It walks through the dry place. So when you command a demon to leave, it's walking in a dry place. It's not in the pit of hell. It's not time for that. That's in Revelation. They're, they're out there. They don't, they're, dis, they're at a place of unrest, and they got to find a host. And we covered last week they're going to find a human or they're going to find an animal. And so we see this. That spirit is unrested. So it tries to come back to the individual, see that? Returns to its former house, and if it finds the former house empty, not full of the Holy Ghost, swept clean and in order. That's what happens when you confess and walk in righteousness. But if the house isn't filled, that spirit finds seven other spirits even more worse than they were, and they come and they take up the dwelling place. So this is the warning. You cannot reopen those doors or you're going to have trouble. And I've got one really bad story of that where someone reopened the doors and, and, uh, and it's just a sad, really sad story. Do not go there. This is a place where, no, I want to really walk. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. I mean, gosh, we, every day we, he tells us, take up your cross daily and follow me. So you've got to nail your passions every day. But let's be serious about this. He's got to be the Lord. Okay, so that's that warning in number three there. Number four says prayer for forgiveness. So then we turn to them and say, so tell us your story. I usually start with um, you've got your forgiveness list. Um, what was your relationship like with your father, your mother, your siblings? And they start to tell their story. And while they're telling their story in the natural you are listening in the spirit, and you're hearing what they say. You, you might start to have a theme of rejection, insecurity, low self-esteem. I was rejected in high school. I was rejected. I had a broken um, uh, engagement. I was, you, you might start to hear a theme of rejection, maybe a theme of fear. I was ministering recently a man who's really struggled with fear. 
And so we that so that's on your list there, rejection, fear. And you're listening behind that with what is the root of that lie that and you try to form a word sentence around what the lie might believe be. In her case, the woman's case I gave you is men can't be trusted. Well, not all men. That's you made that a an absolute. That can't be true. There must be men of honor somewhere. <laughs> Praise God. So we're listening for forgiveness. Who do you want to forgive? Why do you want to forgive? What did they do to bring that wound? And so you're listening in the spirit realm and you're jotting it down. That's how you're covering it. All right. So you see that. Turn to the next page, number five. Then when they get through all of the list of confession, I'm sorry, all the list of forgiveness, um, we can ask them, well, would you like to forgive that individual? And we go through the forgiveness list. And with specific I choose to forgive the, the young man when I was 16 who raped me, who then caused me to not trust. And I forgive my father for not being more compassionate and understanding to me. I forgive my father for that. I forgive my first husband for the way he abused me and left me. So it's that going down the list and in, you're in, in the midst of that, you're inserting what is the lie that might be there? Then we go to, to confession. Would you like to confess the fact that you had hatred for your first husband, that you wish that rapist had died, that hating spirit? That's hate. That's a murdering spirit, according to First John. So we write down hate, murder, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness. Those are all spiritual realms that are attached to the wound that's happened to this individual. All right. So then we see in the next part of that is that confession. So they've confessed. But I want you to see we pick up, once they have prayed through, we then have them go through the generational statement. You see there where it says, uh, be prepared for demonic manifestations when that happens, renouncing curses, breaking any soul ties and generational. So number six is at that point, this is generally what I say, let's forgive your forefathers and your foremothers. I choose to forgive my forefathers and my foremothers, my generations, all those who have opened doors of sin on me, iniquity on me, transgressions on me. And then I, I forgive them, and I ask that you'd cut me free from any soul tie connections from any of those that I have either connected physically, spiritually, or emotionally with that has not been your plan, God, in either my, my willful rebellion and sin or things that were done to me that I had no, no control over. Cut me free from those. Take the sword of the Spirit and cut me free, right? Hebrews 4.12, separating between soul and spirit realm. And then I specifically renounce divorces, secret societies, the Masonic. I cut myself free from any Masonic curses, pornography that would try to visit from my father to my children, anger, bisexual perversions. So we've, we've now renounced broken off generational curses, and now we're about to engage. They've done as thorough as they know. Sometimes I stop and say, Lord, is there anyone else this person needs to forgive or confess? And then I usually end that with, is there anything that you haven't told us that you're either embarrassed to tell us or you know you should and you hope we never asked you? Sometimes they'll say, no, I'm, I'm good. But then they'll say, oh. Okay, and by that time, 
they've already told so much of their life story and you're probably at least three hours into it, they are really open to, to be able to open. And I've had people tell me things, I told you the things I've never told another human being before. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being so compassionate and not judgmental. And I tell them, I said, look, whatever you're telling us, remember, this is not gossip. When you're sharing that somebody who had access to your heart wounded you and you're telling them you're in a place of forgiveness for that individual for what happened or how you processed it, this is not gossip. You're not uncovering them. We're mature enough to understand that there, there's a whole lot of ways to process things. So we're not here to judge them and we're not here to judge you. Let's get to the root of this thing. If it's wounded you, we need to get that out so that you can be healed. Once that's done, the strong man has been tied up. We have now, you will generally not have a whole, if there's not been any drama at this point, it's probably rare that there would be, but you're watching because sometimes they will manifest. And so generational witchcraft, we've shared that in the past. Uh, if there's been something really deep there, it could come up at that point. Uh, anger. Um, so you, that's fine at this point. But when you've done all the confession and forgiveness and they've been humble, then you do James 4. Humble yourself before God. Draw close to him. He will draw close to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee. At that point, we tell them to stop praying. Just relax. Let us pray. I pull out my list that has all the spiritual things. And I say now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you that this person has come and they've humbled their heart. They have carefully opened themselves to, to your, and now you've given us permission to resist the devil and he has no option but to flee. In the name of Jesus, I bind that spirit of rejection and distrust and I command you by the power and the blood and the authority of Christ, get out in Jesus' name. And I go down the list. Insecurity, low self-esteem, fear of failure, unloving. You're going down what you have heard the Holy Spirit say is the spiritual realms that this person has dabbled in, has been affected by, or been oppressed by. Once you've gone through that list, I usually say, now anything else that's here that has not been named or unnamed, you're done in Jesus' name. You need to go to the dry place now. There is complete and total deliverance in Jesus' mighty name. And then I wait and I say, how are you feeling? Oh, usually you'll hear, whew, I'm really peaceful, man. I felt something lifting. What? When you said that thing about rejection, oh, man, I just felt like this dark thing leave me. You'll get comments on that regularly. And then what do we want to do? We want the house to be completely full, clean. So once that is done, we go to verse number, number eight there, prayer of completion. When you sense that, that, is, that everything's been done, wait for confirmation from the Holy Spirit. And then number nine, Holy Spirit, you said, I love this scripture, I quote it to him, in Luke 11, it says, the Father gives good gifts to his children. How much more would he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I usually have the person else, Lord, in the name of Jesus, here you are, here's Tom and so-and-so and so-and-so, and we're just your kids, Lord. We're asking you, Father, right now, would you baptize us fresh with fire? Fill us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, O oh God. And, man, usually tongues will break out. Something will happen. Sometimes it's just the settling of, of peace. But we ask them, and I usually lay hands on their head, said, Lord, now come and fill this vessel completely. Then I pull out my oil, Lord, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've been told we could lay hands on them and they would recover. You told us we could lay hands on and impart in the Scriptures, so we're imparting Holy Spirit's presence. 
And we ask them to fill this vessel so there's no room for anything but the presence of God here. Once that's happened, we lay hands on them, continue the anointing of oil, and I pray for the gifts. Lord, I ask you now that you'd impart the gifts of the Spirit, wisdom and knowledge and discernment and faith and healing miracles out of 1 Corinthians 12. Lord, would you fill the fruit? Let the, your fruit just manifest in their life. That love and joy and peace in accordance with Galatians 5, that, that love, joy, peace and good and kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control, God. Give them a double dose of self-control. Let that fruit manifest with the gifts. But God, I ask now that you dress them up for war. You wouldn't send them out into that battlefield without the helmet of salvation. This is now in Ephesians 6, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Let them walk in peace in their house and wherever they go. Lord, put the belt of truth. Holy Spirit, tell them the truth. When the devil whispers lies, let them, the, the word of the Lord be there. No, that's not true. Holy Spirit, belt him with truth. Then put a sword in their hand, the word of God. Put a shield in the other hand, faith that quenches the fiery darts and the breastplate of righteousness. God, let them walk in the blood covering of Jesus that the enemy can't get a shot into the shield. They're covered in the blood. So the fruit and the gifts and the armor, they are fully equipped. And when that's done, I take a moment and I say, do you have any physical emotional places of your heart that have burdened you? Yeah, I've had this problem in this joint or thyroid. Or That's an absolutely amazing time. Remember, we just did James 5. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. If any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them anoint with oil. The prayer that's offered in faith will sozo the sick. Man, you can't get any more deeper in prayer and fervency and fasted that day. And so we lay hands on him, and man, I've had some amazing things happen. I remember one time, Russ Hamilton, he's in heaven now. He had been uh, completely paralyzed in a chemical explosion when he worked for CE, and it had damaged his back. And the day that we got to this point, we laid hands on him, we all heard the bones in his back cracking. I said, he said, are you hearing that? I said, I am. It was an amazing moment. Come on, God. And so we just thank you, God, that then after that, we, the full armor of God's been on. We pray for healing, number 12. And then we seal this, number 13. We confirm that right now, Lord, I ask you to seal everything that's been done. And I take the sword of the Spirit, because now we've dabbled. We got, we got demon blood, right, circulating around. We've, been, we've heard some things that are really can really slime you to the point where, yeah, that bothered me for a day when I heard how awful that person was treated. and Oh, it just hurt my heart. You may get slimed. Take the sword of the Spirit. Cut us free now from anything that might try to attach itself to us. We are going to be unaffected. We're washed in the blood. By the blood of Jesus, we've been set free. We have done what you've told us. You told us to lay hands on the sick. You told us to cast out demons. We told, we've done what you said. Now cleanse us by the power of the blood of Jesus. Seal everything that's been done by your powerful name. And then, Lord, I, we give counsel we hand them a piece of paper, and that's listed back here. It's right after the, um, it's just before the pre-ministry sheet. It says, it's a one-pager that we give them. It says, look, 
Here's the direction that we now want to give you. Number one there in the bottom of that page, regularly attend a church where the Word of God's being preached. That's Hebrews 10, 25. It says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. We see this time, take time in devotion daily, prayer reading. Resist the thoughts. We give them some scripture. This battle, don't open the door of your thought life again. Don't open the door of sin again. This will just bring in a whole bunch of stuff because the devil can come. We want him to come and find a no vacancy sign. There's no room anymore for you here, but you're going to have to walk this out. That's your daily walk. We list them there. So you've got to resist the devil, 1 Peter 5, 8. Take a firm stand against him. Establish Christian friendships, mentorship relationships. And if three months from now you've got a particular area that's still giving you a little trouble, call us back up and we'll invite you back to have a, what we call a tune-up, <laughs> an area where we're just going to get gang up on the devil one more time. So we have now walk through that 14-step mo uh, model. But it really, if you step back, many of the ministries, the ones that are doing Sozo, HeartSync, um, uh, Restoring the Foundations, the principles are all the same. And this model, I can just tell you, I'm not exaggerating, when we've, we've done thousands upon thousands of these, both in an individual setting and in a group setting, um, it works on a massive scale. I've done it on 4,000 in a field in Tanzania and others. Uh, I prefer the one-on-one -on -one because you just get really deep into seeing the, the revelation. And, and so I want to encourage you, read the rest of the book. If you want to finish, take a look at page 137 in the Breaking Three book. It starts with how do you heal yourself and others? And you'll see the correlation of many of the things we've just talked about tonight. Forgiveness, confession, humility, confronting evil, truthfulness. And then it gets to how do you get started on page 145. If you were to take this to your church, if you wanted to uh, start a ministry associated with inner healing, I, I would encourage every church must have an inner healing ministry. It got to. Uh, all of us got baggage. I don't care who you are. And so... Um, get started. This is how you do it. And then the models in here, uh, what we've just walked through, that's also listed in this module 12. All right. Well, praise God, we have finished one through 12 modules. Next week, we're going to come back. <clears throat> if you would, here's your last reading homework assignment. If you will read 1 John, the first five chapters. Uh, well, there's only five. Read 1 John chapters 1 through 5. And then we're going to pick up to finish the ministry team training. Module 13 is guidelines for prophecy and the prophetic. And so we want to cover what are the protocols for prophecy? What is prophecy? Biblically, this is another area that many churches have shunned away from. They, they think it's a little scary. But we're told in First, uh, First Thessalonians 5, don't scoff at prophecy test everything. So what are the guidelines? How would you bring prophecy to your small group or to your church? Everyone, Paul, you can read these scriptures that you'll, so read module 13. It'll take you, Paul says, um, don't forsake or don't stop people from speaking in tongues, but I wish you all would prophesy. Seek the higher gifts of prophecy. So if that's in the word, we got to do it. 
So, all right. Let me, uh, let me close this out in prayer. Thank you for, for being with us tonight. Lots to, to digest. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would make the words active, that people are, we're, we're, we're training and equipping. This is kind of like boot camp. It's got to be followed up by more reading, prayer, experience, reading, prayer, and experience. So, Lord, I pray right now as you raise up people that are equipped. We're doing Ephesians 2. The fivefold ministry is equipping the saints for the works of ministry, that they'll not be ashamed or afraid to take on demon demonic darkness because they have the power and the authority to be able to do it. Lord, I ask you to release peace right now. I cut them free from anything that might try to attach itself to them. In the name of Jesus, let your presence and your Holy Spirit bring rest and fullness of peace in your precious and mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Good night.